Welcome to Get Better at Garbage with your host, Colin Bell, COO of Recycle Smart, Canada's fastest growing recycling technology company. We talk tech, innovation, and inside secrets with top industry experts every week. You'll find exclusive content, interviews, and commentary from the leaders in the North American recycling industry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Get Better at Garbage. We've got uh, two great guests on today from Moloch North America. I'm thrilled to be joined by Mark Hillis, President and CEO of Moloch North America, and Tim Corcoran, VP of Business Development and Marketing with Moloch North America. For those of you that don't know, uh, a Moloch is an underground container. It's not a monster in Star Wars or some kind of science fiction character. So we're going to learn all about Molochs uh, today on the show and thrilled to have two of the experts in this type of container on the show with us. So thanks very much for joining, Mark and Tim. Really appreciate you guys being on the show. Thank you, Colin. Yep, thank you. So let's start at the beginning. And I guess looking at how did Moloch North America start? What's the founding story? And I believe, Mark, you, you know the founding story because you may have been there or very close to there. Yeah, I, I, do, uh, I do go back uh, quite far to the beginning of Moloch, uh, in, in, at least in the North American side of things. Um, but Moloch uh, originated actually, it was conceptualized in the late 80s and came to market in 1991 in Finland. And it was the uh, brainchild of a gentleman by the name of Veiko Sali. And uh, Veiko was a um, mechanical engineer turned entrepreneur, um, never worked for anyone in his whole life except for himself, and um, had these uh, brilliant ideas. And uh, at the time when he came up with uh, Moloch, he was the... Uh, builder and owner of uh, several hotels and sports centers throughout uh, Finland and Sweden, and uh, didn't like the way that uh, garbage presented itself on his site. Um, he wanted something that would look a lot better, and so he conceptualized putting the waste semi-underground, um, put his mechanical engineering hat on, and uh, tried to work his way around the engineering of something like that, and uh, came up with some concepts that he took to market, uh, like I said, in 1991. Um, Veiko's daughter, Maria, who ended up uh, as my wife, uh, came to Canada in uh, 1999 with a one-year-old daughter as a single mother trying to sell, as she would say, trying to sell her daddy's product in a male-dominated uh, industry in a foreign country. And uh, yeah, I was, I was like that uh, saying, it, it stuck with me. That was kind of her prevailing thought, this uh, stubborn determination against all odds to... Um, to um, bring Moloch and the benefits of Moloch to North America, which happened in 1999. Um, I joined around 2002 um, uh, after uh, she looked at me one day and said, uh, we need a general manager, you should apply. And I said, no, I have a cushy government job. I'm working for a municipality, I get a pension. Um, that didn't last very long, that prevailing thought. And I ended up joining the company in 2002. Awesome, so really, a bit of a family, international family success story with her. Absolutely. North and um, who is Moloch North America today? And maybe just give us an idea of your operation, kind of the scope and size, whatever you're comfortable in sharing. So, so Colin, I'll jump in on this one. Um, so today, I mean, we are, as Mark had mentioned, we've been around now, I guess this is our 21st year. Uh, we have 
I'm going to say between 15 and 20,000 bins throughout Canada, uh, some into the U.S. Uh, we've got probably, well, not probably, we've got about 30 employees, uh, which uh, during, during COVID times are all still working, which is fantastic. Uh, and, you know, we, uh, we have yet to have a year of negative growth. Um, so for the last 20 years, we've seen increase in our sales. We've seen increase in the, in the areas in which we work. Uh, last year we, uh, we broke into the U S market, um, and, uh, things, uh, we started to do quite well there. We've also, uh, expanded into the Mexican market. Uh, so it's, a, it's a company today that is, has a great foundation in Canada. Uh, we are located in a uh, small farming community in Ontario called Mount Forest, uh, where we've got about 50,000 square feet of uh, manufacturing and uh, office uh, space. And a lot of our, a lot of our, uh, uh, a lot of the folks that work in our plant are from the area. So we've got a terrific uh, team of, uh, of 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 people putting together our products, making sure that it's done properly. Uh, nothing leaves our shop without it being quality tested, quality controlled. Uh, and in some cases, it's looked over with a fine tooth comb, literally. Uh, it's funny, when we, when we bring people here on a tour, um, they'll see some of the, some of the guys in the, in the shop actually taking out a, a, um, a ruler and measuring the space between the framing slats to make sure that, they, that they're all equal. Um, so at some, at some points we go a little over the top, but it's real, it's a testament to the quality of, of, uh, employee we have and to the type of product that they want to put out something they're proud of and something that's going to be around for a long time. That's uh that's very interesting because obviously a lot of manufacturers stick to the major centers, um, just due to, you know, transportation and things like that. But there's some real benefits of being a manufacturer in a small town because, Obviously, you know the community really appreciates you, and it sounds like you also have a great a great team there as well. Um, maybe just big picture. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was say it is a question that's come up frequently. Why Mount Forest? <laughs> uh, why pick Mount Forest when there's all these other communities and centers around? And uh, I, when I joined, I asked Maria that question, and, and you know, my wife. We, I live in Toronto. And my wife said, "Why Mount Forest?" Um, but it's an area that she fell in love with. Apparently, it's similar to Finland, where she grew up. Um, but it's got a terrific, as I said, it's got a terrific workforce. So um, it's uh, it was a wise a wise choice and a good move on her part. Yeah, you guys may be a little ahead of the curve, or quite a bit ahead of the curve. I think in the last couple of months, we've all discovered that probably we don't need to drive into our office in the big city every day, and we can work from other places like Mount Forest and just Absolutely. do our jobs just as well. Um, so maybe just talk about why put waste and recyclables underground. Like, what are the advantages and benefits? Mark talked a little bit about how the founder didn't like the way that waste and recycling looked at his buildings. Um, but other than the aesthetics, there's got to be some other advantages of just hiding it underground. Sure. And, and I'll jump into that, Colin. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of really powerful effects about uh, putting waste semi-underground. And, and basically, if you go back to the basic laws of nature, which is... Uh, gravity and coolness of the earth. And those are the significant um, things that add to um, why it should go semi-underground. And the coolness of the earth basically keeps the waste cool. It's like putting it in a refrigerator, uh, in, in effect, and keeps it uh, 
cool in the summer, coolness of the earth uh, slows down decomposition, decomposition um, causes odors. So uh, by doing that, you're kind of uh, eliminating most of the odors from, from waste sitting around. And then the, the gravity side of things with a cylindrical shaped container, eight feet tall, um, you get a lot of natural uh, vertical capacity because of that. So the waste actually naturally compacts under its own weight. And we found through uh, measurements and uh, tests that we've done that that ranges for, uh, for waste anywhere from one and a half to two and a half times the weight by volume of the container. So those are the significant things. But, you know, when I talked about aesthetics earlier too, you know, if you contribute uh, uh, a lot, aesthetics, uh, a lot to do with odors and what odors cause with the attraction of urban wildlife, pests, insects, that type of thing, um, that, um, you know, that coolness of the earth um, keeps the waste cool, but uh, eliminates those issues that are normally associated with garbage. And if you think about why we normally empty garbage, there's usually one of two reasons. Um, in my mind, from what I've seen, is uh, a, a garbage container is emptied because it uh, is full or it smells bad. And if we can eliminate the smells bad and maximize the fullness of the container, then we've created something that's uh, really efficient and works well. Right. So that really gives you that ability to put containers maybe where a traditional garbage truck could not service them or tuck them out of sight behind, you know, maybe an enclosure or a shrub or something like that. So, yeah, no, that's a really good point. The little things that people definitely don't think about. Just can I just add a little bit to that? You know, I was thinking about um, convenience and where does it make sense to put garbage? Um, Front loaded containers typically have to go in a space where the truck accesses them. Um, we can really open up the opportunities because of the crane lifted method again of where they can be placed and they can be placed in a in a much more convenient manner and um, you know some of the uh, the advantages of that are um, increased uh, diversion rates because uh, the containers are easily accessible um, they're accessible by people of all ages and abilities uh, because of the opening height and the the um, uh, ease of using them and things like that. Right. Yeah. So some auxiliary benefits that, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. If you can put it close to say the back door of a restaurant, so they don't yeah. have to walk across the parking lot much more likely at the end of a long shift, they're going to actually do the right thing instead of just throwing sure. it all in the garbage. Um, who, who are you selling to? Like who is the target markets for Moloch? Obviously lots of applications, but maybe just run us through kind of the, the, the large segments that you guys target. Pretty much. I mean, the, the easy answer to that, uh, Colin is anybody who has carts or dumpsters, um, can take advantage of Moloch and the and the conveniences. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. So you know we will we will work to educate a lot of architects um, who will place them on the site plans. Uh, we will sell to developers. We will work with municipalities. Um, we spend a lot of time educating on the difference, and part of that education process is recognizing that there's two there's two types of removal method one is forklift and one is crane lifted and once you've acknowledged and once you understand the differences and some of the advantages then we can talk about our system in particular and what we bring to the table um, so when we're when we're talking to architects we'll talk about the uh, the space savings uh, developers will talk about uh, by you know by using our system you can open up development municipalities there's some cost savings there's uh, greenhouse gas emission reductions because of the additional capacity 
Um, when we're talking to property managers, it's accessible. And so depending on the, the, uh, the tenant base or the owner base, uh, or the, or the um, if it's a commercial aspect, who's, who's using it, it provides better accessibility, uh, reduced odor, uh, can clean it up, open up parking. Uh, one of the questions that we will ask a lot of customers is what's the value of a parking space? Right. And if you think about uh, in Toronto, uh, parking space can run you $50,000. Right. So, so that makes the ROI a lot easier all of a sudden. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you want to put, you know, a series of, of surface bins or carts where you could otherwise have parking, whether it's for, if it's a commercial aspect where, where people are going to come in and shop, or if it's a, a multi-residential or condo where you can sell them or rent them, or do you want to see if you can tuck them off to the side? Uh, and as Mark said, you know, within 25 feet of the truck and you can have them easily accessible by the users. And I also heard a rumor that I, I want to confirm with you guys uh, from a client of ours saying that in some cities, uh, Molochs do not require enclosures, which are kind of those, you know, fences that a lot of cities actually require uh, developers and, and property managers to put up around the bins, just, I guess, mostly due to site unsightliness of dumpsters and things like that. And so is that true in some municipalities, an enclosure is not required with a Moloch? In yeah. most municipalities, enclosures are not required. Oh, okay. And, wow. And part of it is because we come with our own enclosure. So the design of the Moloch is it's twofold. The first is what we call the well, or you can call it the enclosure, which goes into the ground. It's uh, five feet below ground, three feet above ground. And then the waste receptacle is the bag or the liner that's attached to the lid that goes inside that well. And so that well acts as the enclosure. Um, Got it. Okay. So that, that meets that requirement of having an enclosure around. Because I can't tell you how many hours we spend every year dealing with broken enclosures. Obviously, the doors often fall off, waste haulers run into them. You know, they need maintenance, they need painting. So not having an enclosure, I mean, there's a huge benefit right there, right off the top. Um, what would you say are the biggest trends shaping your industry in 2020? Other than COVID-19, we'll talk about that separately. But let's say COVID-19 hadn't happened. And what would have been kind of the up-and-coming trends that are shaping what's happening at Molon. So what we're, what we're focusing a lot of attention on, uh, what we've been focusing attention on uh, is uh, level measurement systems. Uh, so we've done a lot of piloting over the last couple of years, or year and a half anyways, on uh, uh, maximizing the fill levels of our units using the level measurement, uh, testing the various um, uh, platforms to see which one is, is the most vertile and uh, versatile, sorry, and delivers uh, the best results uh, in terms of a usability standpoint uh, from that. We're also looking at access control. Um, and we've heard from a lot of uh, uh, multi-res that, you know, they can, if they can uh, continue to eliminate uh, illegal dumping and just provide access to the tenants, then that's, that's, the, that's sort of, you know, what, what they're really looking for. So we've been looking at the electronic access control, um, and we're, we're going to continue that, uh, that route. Our, our uh, colleagues in Finland have it working there, um, and uh, so we're talking to the supplier to see if they can provide us with the same sort of equipment, and then we can start to do that piloting. Um, and, and then uh, we're also now, and this is in part uh, COVID-related, but looking at a uh, um, uh, remote access, so or assisted access, sorry. 
so that when you when you walk up to the unit, the lid will automatically open. Uh, so this is truly becoming like a robotic in-ground bin at this point. Sensors, self-opening. Yeah. Well, it's it's designed in a way that make that makes it easier because our lid is is rounded. The waste goes in the top and comes out the bottom. We've got a lot of real estate under the under the hood, so to speak, where we can we can play with uh, with the electronics, and they don't get uh, they don't get moved. They're not going to get jostled or bumped or broken because they can sit under under the the lid, which the garbage never really gets right up to the top of the lid. It's protected. So those are those are a lot of the the things that, uh, in terms of a technology aspect that we have been looking at. Uh, I think what COVID nineteen has done is it's accelerated it. Yeah. So let's. I guess we should talk about COVID nineteen, of course, because it's the hot topic. So maybe just how has that affected uh, your business overall? I mean, a lot of businesses seeing a slowdown in orders or not being able to operate at all. Obviously. Waste and recycling, you're lucky it's somewhat of an essential service, or it is an essential service in most municipalities and, and cities across North America. So have you guys seen much effect from COVID, or has it been somewhat business as usual? It, I would say business as usual, but we, uh, we've been fortunate. It's, uh, we, because we supply to some of the essential services, uh, we have remained active. Um, we're, we're on a you know a month-to-month from from that standpoint but um you know our business is is open it's good uh we're having a fairly solid year uh you know given what's happening and, and i'll let mark address some of the other elements with the office and factory mm -hmm. yeah the um you know we probably had no we didn't probably we, we had our best first quarter ever in our 21 year um history in in north america uh, with January, February, and March, which I think is excellent. And uh, then COVID hit, um, and we've had to make some adjustments. So we uh, we looked forward uh, for the balance of the year and adjusted our targets um, and expenses accordingly. Um, but um, from a manufacturing and production side of things, we've been exceeding our, 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 our realigned targets uh, for the months of um April and uh, May and June is filling up nicely from, like I said, from manufacturing and production. So we'll see what the rest of the year brings. Um, we do supply the manufacturing industry uh, a lot. And um, in places like Quebec, uh, even though they shut down, or one of the first to shut down, they've been going crazy since then. Um, and But we, we are shipping uh, right across the country right now. Um, so that, that's been good. Um, we were, were able to keep all of our um, manufacturing staff employed. Um, as we talked about a little bit earlier, we've got some excellent, uh, um, talented and, and skilled people in this area that we've recruited to be part of our family and part of our team over the years. They, they have a really good fit, good skill set, and we don't want to lose that. That's, that's a huge value to us. So. Um, we made the decision to retain everybody uh, in the company, um, regardless of what was going on, at least for the short term. And um, and while we uh, our manufacturing slowed down for a period of time, um, pretty much everybody is back at work, and everybody is doing what they should do uh, as far as manufacturing and sales and marketing and and um, all the HR and administrative stuff. 
Um, on the collection side of our business, because we do run a small collection business in the greater Toronto area, um, that really hardly changed at all. And, um, you know, we, we meet weekly as a senior management team in Moloch, and I've thrown the challenge out there, how has COVID made us better um, to the guys? Because I think it has in, in, in a lot of ways, and not taking away anything from the... Um, the tragedy that this has become, um, but it has forced us to rethink a few things and rethink the way that we do business and uh, allowed us to uh, have a, a critical look at our expenses side of things and and trim the expenses where necessary uh, and, and things along that line. So, uh, you know, while, it, while COVID has been an unexpected um, event that um, has challenged us all, I think in the end, uh, from what I'm seeing so far, we'll probably come out of it uh, better than we went in as far as a company is concerned. So let's uh, let's see what happens. Yeah, it's an interesting comment because I think also Recycle Smart's finding the same thing. Is it's uh, it's kind of like when you have a health scare, it makes you go back and look at you know what's really essential. <clears throat> and so you know some belt tightening and obviously some trimming of things, which uh, isn't a bad thing for a business to do once in a while. So um, Mark, just wanted to touch on one interesting thing because. You mentioned that you guys run your own hauling operation in the GTA, and I think that's fairly unique for a container manufacturer to also run trucks. And so has that been a, a good thing in terms of like you're almost your own lab? And you, obviously, if you're collecting your own containers, you understand the challenges that you know any of your collectors may have throughout North America. Or what kind of drove that you know desire to have your own hauling operation? Besides, I mean, everyone likes garbage trucks. It's always been a dream of mine to have one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, this is actually um, uh, uh, deep collection number two. We did our initial uh, um, collection company in the Waterloo region, began that in 2003 and ran it through till 2009. Um, having collection at that time where we were really disruptors in this industry and to a certain extent continue to be and challenging the uh, the traditions and conventions of above ground surface collection, um, having someone that would look at Moloka from the collection industry and take it seriously at that point was relatively unknown. So, we started uh, Deep Clean Waste Services uh, back then, and it was the catalyst for uh, growing sales and um, helping the industry to understand how Moloch works. Um, and it was our own labor laboratory, like you mentioned, too. We could do um, weight tests, um, um, prove to people that it doesn't take 20 minutes to empty a mall container. It's really a two to two and a half minute uh, procedure. Um, and, and so we, we ended up selling that because uh, we were at a tipping point at that time in 2009 when we really could sit back and focus on manufacturing R&D and uh, expansion throughout Canada. Um, some years ago, probably about 2016, 2015, we were really trying to work hard um, in, in developing the uh, greater Toronto area market. And actually, uh, my colleague Tim uh, was a business development manager for that market at the time. And I would say for about every 10 opportunities, really good opportunities that Tim would come up with, we'd end up closing one or two. And, and density and collection uh, cost was the, was the problem why people weren't committing. So as much as we have great service partners across the country, um, we really couldn't get anybody to partner with us to build and expand uh, density within the GTA. 
so we took that on ourselves. And uh, in uh, 2017, we, um, you know, after putting together a, a business plan on how we wanted to grow the business uh, smartly and strategically uh, within that market area, we put uh, a fleet back into the uh, area. And since that, uh, again, uh, it's, it's served our purpose of growing density and, uh, and lowering collection uh, prices. Um, you know, our, our product is our brand and uh, the containers are, are attractive. They're, they're great looking. Um, they're easy and simple to collect and service. Um, but we want to make sure that they're doing, uh, that things are being done right. And so, you know, apart from, from doing that collection service ourselves um, through round two this time, we also work really closely with our service partners across Canada um, with training modules, helping them to understand the system, how it works, the simplicity of it, and to make sure that they're doing the job right. And that's part of what we do. Yeah, I think it's great if you can have those best practices that you you know inside out and can say, we do this, we know it works. Obviously, it's a lot easier to train someone else um, if you've done it. It's, and uh, obviously, there's that old saying, you know, if you want something done right, do it yourself. So in this case, sounds like that mantra is proving true, although people tell me delegation is the hot new thing in, in 2020. But um, what is the strangest or most unique challenge you've solved for a customer? So if you're retired tomorrow, and you look back on your career at Moloch and you'd say, well, that was probably the strangest call or the most unique challenge I solved for a customer. What would you say? If you have a couple, share those. But if you have one that really sticks out as like the real head shaker, that's the one we, we want to hear about. There's there's two that, well, I guess there's probably three that I could, I, I could uh, raise. Um, one, one uh, and I don't know if they're strange, but they're, they're kind of interesting ones. One was back in 2000 and... Uh, 2002 um, at a little uh, condo complex in Toronto called Glenfern, and their recycling rate wasn't uh, wasn't what it should be. Uh, it was this, it was more of a I'm not going to say seniors residence, but an older older uh, building, older demographic building. And uh, so they, you know, we we worked with them to change over from bins, uh, dumpsters, and carts. Uh, introduced Moloch to them. Um, and they were able to drive their diversion rates uh, from about 20% back in 2002 to over 60%. And they introduced uh, organic separation and they refined their, their recyclables. Um, and I think what's, what's kind of unique about that one was it was 2002, the diversion rate was up over 60%, and today in major metropolitan centers, diversion rates within multi-residential complexes is still sitting at about 25%. Um, and on top of them being able to increase their diversion rate, they also reduced their costs uh, by, uh, by about half at the time. Wow. Uh, so you, you oh. can teach old people new tricks. You've, you've, oh, yeah. There's, you've shown that, that myth to be untrue. And there's no reason why it can't happen. So, so that's one. There's, there's two others I've got. I'm kind of debating which one, but I'm going to go with, uh, with one down in the States. And we were, we were called in, um, and it was with, uh, with a, a, a major city. And, and as in most, most cities in the States, there was a, t a period when everything moved out of the core and they went to the suburbs. And now they're all uh, re-energizing their downtown centers. And this, this particular city was no different. I was in Raleigh. And uh, they, uh, what they found, though, was they didn't have enough space for garbage. 
And so they did a survey. They found that the biggest challenge was the waste among the, the, the local, the residents and the, and the owners of restaurants and other shops. And all they could put on the street were carts. And so they had seen our product and it was uh, that one of the, uh, the uh, municipal people was at a SEPTED conference and uh, they, uh, they saw and thought, this is very cool. Let's see what we can do. And so we, we partnered with them and a, and a group of downtown uh, businesses, like a business association, to get as many carts off the street as we could and uh, implement our system. And so at the end, um, they were actually able to uh, wrap the, the, the bins using local artists. Uh, and they removed over 40 carts from the streets. So they were able to open up the sidewalks. They reduced any odor that was associated with it. But I think two of the, the most interesting facts was they reduced their uh, service frequency from 13 times a week to four. They reduced their gas consumption by 90% and their time on site by 92%. So well, there's some pretty big reductions. I mean, I think when you look at a lot of those facilities, you know, using carts is almost like trying to empty your bathtub with a teaspoon. It's, it's just not efficient whatsoever. So obviously with a larger container that you get with the you know, semi-underground systems, it just makes it so much more efficient. Um, just wrapping up here, a couple of questions for you guys. Um, obviously with COVID, I think a lot of companies have had to go back and kind of look themselves in the mirror. And so we are asking people, how would you describe the culture at Moloch North America in two words? So if we ran to each other at a cocktail party and I said, what's it like to work at Moloch North America? How would you give me the straight goods? I, I, I'll jump in here. Um, my, I think the first thing I would say is that uh, family first. And um, we've, we've created a, a culture. This has always been a part of who we are, uh, a culture of family first, our, our our uh, co-workers, uh, whether they're in town or out of town, are a second family, and we care for them in that same way. Um, one of the things I've done, um, we've done for as many years as I can remember, is hosted our, our company Christmas party at our house. And, oh, cool. um, and we fly our uh, out-of-town employees in for it and uh, put them up locally and uh, generally have a blast. It's a good That's thing. They're our family. That's really interesting because I think a lot of people, uh, you know, who run companies wouldn't want their employees to come to their house, kind of crossing that boundary. But mm -hmm. obviously, if you are a family, then you're comfortable having the family over for dinner, which well, that's really neat. Um, last question. This is just a, a little fun when we get to see the window into your personality. I have this theory that how a person eats their eggs tells a lot about them. So we'll start with you, Mark. Uh, how do you like to eat your eggs? Scrambled, poached, sunny side up? 20-second backstory? Sure. Yeah, in, definitely. Uh, in uh, oh, when was this? Uh, 1981, um, in a summer break from uh, university, I was tree planting in northern Ontario. Uh, closest thing to slave labor I ever did. Um, <laughs> but uh, at that time, we had uh, 125, 130 tree planters staying at a camp in the bush uh, with a cook. And uh, every morning, I'd go in the lineup, and the cook would say, "How do you like your eggs?" And I'd say, "Easy over." I always got sunny side up. They never did easy over, no matter what, but they always asked. And so um, after about a week, week and a half of that, I just said sunny side up, and that's the way I've liked them ever since. 
<laughs> you said, let's not go against the flow here. Nope. Since it seems to be a sunny side up kind of camp. All right, Tim, over to you, your, your egg preference. If, if I'm making the eggs, uh, I prefer sunny side up. If my daughter's making the eggs any way she chooses. Oh, nice. <laughs> Keeping the, uh, the family peace. That's good. Yeah. Sometimes in the morning, you don't want to start out with a fight over eggs, kind of set things up on the wrong foot. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, thanks very much, Mark and Tim. Uh, it's been great having you guys on the show. And so now everyone knows that Moloch is not uh, a space invader and obviously a lot of advantages and benefits for semi underground. I hope that we get some U.S. listers because I know you guys are pushing into the U.S. And I think that this is something that could greatly benefit our neighbors to the south. There's a lot of hot spots down in Arizona and Florida that I'm sure have some dumpsters that would knock over a full-grown man on a hot day. So obviously, semi-underground has some real advantages. And hopefully, you guys do well in the States. For all our listeners, uh, next week, we're going to have an interesting person on. We're going to be talking to a recycled Martian. We're going to have Diana Scott on our vendor manager talking about buying waste and recycling services. So we're going back to the homestead to talk to one of our own. Thanks very much, everyone, for joining us and tune in next week. Well, that's a wrap for this week. Remember, you can recycle past episodes at www.recycle-smart.com slash podcast and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for joining us. And remember to get better at garbage, rock the recycling, and save some serious dough.